we're going to do Hagar for however long that takes. And as Tom is fond of saying, Haggai is the only prophet that Israel listened to, which is to say they did what he told them to do. In order to get perspective on Haggai, we're going to spend time in Ezra, because Ezra has the background of what's going on that Haggai is talking about. To refresh you on your Hebrew history, Israel went into apostasy and got sanded off first by the Assyrians, that was the northern kingdom, and then about 100, 125 years later, the southern kingdom got sanded off by the Babylonians. The northern kingdom is lost to biblical history. Southern kingdom maintains its coherence and maintains its cohesiveness in Babylon and is the ancestor of the people we call the Jews today. So Nebuchadnezzar went through and cleaned them all out, destroyed the temple, and took everybody to Babylon. That's as opposed to Assyria, whose practice was when they conquered a people, what they did is they transplanted the people. So when Assyria took out the northern kingdom, what they did was they took all of Ephraim and the northern ten tribes, and they scattered them throughout the Assyrian Empire. And of course, that became what we know today as the ten lost tribes. Those people did not maintain their cohesiveness. They went into the Assyrian Empire, and that's the last that we heard of them, whereas the Babylonians took the Jews in a wad, kept them in a wad, moved them to Babylon, and they remained cohesive. Of course, the books of Daniel and so forth talk about their time in Babylon. So the Babylonian captivity was prophesied by Jeremiah to last 70 years. And and actually, that isn't quite right. What Jeremiah prophesies is the length of existence of the Babylonian kingdom. And what happened with the Babylonian kingdom is when God decided he was going to take the southern kingdom out, he raised up Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar came in, cleaned him out, and then the Babylonian empire, 70 years thereafter, was conquered by the Medes and the Persians. When it was conquered by the Medes and the Persians, it was the end of the 70 years of captivity. And you can read about that in the book of Daniel, where Daniel is praying because he recognizes that they are coming to the end of the period prophesied by Jeremiah. So Cyrus captures Babylon. Cyrus is the Persian king. He captures Babylon in 539 B.C. He issues a proclamation. And that proclamation is that the Jews be allowed to return to their land and be allowed to build their temple. And furthermore, that all of the stuff that Nebuchadnezzar looted when he destroyed the temple was to be returned. So you remember from your book of Daniel, uh, Belshazzar's feast, where Belshazzar is successor, grandson actually, of Nebuchadnezzar. And he's a little too big for his britches, so he throws a big party. And actually the party was being thrown as the Medes and the Persians were besieging Babylon. So Babylon was being besieged by the Medes and the Persians, and Belshazzar throws this big feast as a sort of in-your-face. We are 
unconquerable. We are not afraid of you guys. So he throws a big feast. And as part of that, what he does is he goes into the royal treasury and gets the vessels that Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple and brings them in and uses them as party dishes. And then, of course, you've got the famous handwriting on the wall. And what happened that night is the Medes and the Persians under Darius dammed up and diverted the Euphrates River, which flowed right through the middle of Babylon. So as the Euphrates River dried up, the fortifications that sort of depended on the river as being part of the fortifications became vulnerable. And what the Medes and the Persians did is walked up the riverbed and conquered the city. Then Cyrus is king, and Cyrus issues the edict that we're talking about that allows the Jews to return and rebuild the temple. And this becomes important because there are several edicts that happen as part of this story that we're reading. Cyrus is the first, and the only thing that they are allowed to rebuild is the temple. It isn't until Nehemiah that they get permission to rebuild the walls of the city. And one of the things that is going to happen is they are going to be having trouble with the people who are in the land and were moved into the land, put into the land, and so forth, while they were gone. One of the groups that they're going to have trouble with, and we'll read that tonight, is the Samaritans. Because you remember I said earlier that it was the policy of the Assyrian Empire to take the people out and replace them with other people from the empire. And the people that replaced the northern kingdom was what become the Samaritans. And one of the things that we'll see in Ezra as we're reading the background of this is some of the local Samaritans come up and say, wow, you're rebuilding a temple. Let us help. We worship the same God you do. And the Jews told them, no, you don't have any part in this. And that sort of sets the stage and so forth. So that's sort of what's going on. So let's start in Ezra. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. All right, now Cyrus, you remember, is first Persian king. Verse 2, thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. That's an interesting turn of phrase. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. If you know your ancient history, gods were typically regarded as being territorial. And in fact, demons are territorial, and I suspect some of the pagan gods are in fact demons and were territorial. So the idea here that this god in Jerusalem wants his temple rebuilt is sort of by way of saying, yeah, he's God there, and he's real powerful, but it isn't necessarily saying that he is Lord of all. Verse 4. 
and let each survivor, in whatever place he sojourns, be assisted by the men of his place with silver and gold, with goods and with beasts, besides free will offering for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. So he's saying that anybody from the diaspora, which is to say Hebrews, Jews, who are anywhere in the empire of Persia, who want to go back, do so. And oh, by the way, whoever is local with them, help them out. Give them free will offerings, help them with silver and gold, help them with whatever they need so that they have the materials and the wherewithal to do this rebuilding. Verse 5. Then rose up the heads of the father's houses of Judah and Benjamin. Notice Judah and Benjamin. This is the southern kingdom. The northern ten tribes are scattered and gone. That happened at this point almost 200 years ago. So then rose up the heads of the fathers' houses of Judah and Benjamin, and the priests and the Levites, everyone whose spirit God had stirred up to rebuild the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. And all who were about them aided them with vessels of silver and gold, with goods, with beasts, and with costly wares, besides all that was freely offered. Now, just as a historical side quote, most of the Jews did not return. Most of the Jews stayed in Babylon. It was actually a fairly small remnant that made the trek back to Judah. And Babylon becomes a major center of rabbinic study all the way up through the time of Christ. In fact, they write their own Talmud and so forth. Down to verse 7. Cyrus the king also brought out the vessels of the house of the Lord that Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and placed them in the house of his gods. Cyrus, king of Persia, brought these out in charge of Bethredah, the treasurer, who counted them out to Shishbazar, the prince of Judah. So remember that Nebuchadnezzar, when he destroyed the temple, took all of the vessels that had to do with temple service and took them and put them into the treasury of his guard, Marduk. And that's the thing that got Belshazzar in trouble is when he was bragging about having that and how powerful he was. And so now Cyrus is giving it back to the Jews and saying, get this stuff out of town. So verse 9. And this is the number of them. All right, I'm not going to go through the inventory here. That's not relevant to our story. So I'm going to skip the inventory, and then I'm going to skip chapter 2, because that's a list of everybody that went and the number of people. And again, that isn't particularly germane to what I hope to get to tonight, which is Haggai. This is all by way of background to tell you what Haggai is talking about. So now I'm down to chapter 3 in Ezra. When the seventh month came and the children of Israel were in the towns, the people gathered as one man to Jerusalem. Then arose Yeshua, the son of Josedek, with his fellow priest and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, with his kinsmen, and they built the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. They set the altar in its place, for fear was on them because of the people of the land. Remember, I told you that the land is populated by, among other things, the people who will later become known as Samaritans. They've been living there for over 70 years, and to have the Jews return 
to be set up shop again is not something that they're going to be terribly happy about. Verse 4, And they kept the Feast of Booth, as it is written, and offered the daily bird offerings by number according to the rule as each day required. And after that, the regular burnt offerings and the offerings of the new moons and all the appointed feasts of the Lord and the offerings of everyone who made a free will offering to the Lord. From the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, but the foundation of the temple of the Lord was not yet laid. So what they've got is a freestanding altar. And by the way, that's all you need. The building and all that kind of stuff is what I would describe as a God containment vessel because getting too close to God is extremely dangerous. So they built this, either the tabernacle in the wilderness or the temple, and they very carefully guard it because anybody that goes inside unauthorized is subject to get a Nadab and Abihu done on him and get toasted. So it's to keep people out but not necessarily for religious reasons, but for safety reasons. Seven, so they gave money to the masons and the carpenters and food, drink, and oil to the Sidonians and the Tyrians. So Sidon and Tyre, you remember, are Phoenician cities on the coast north of Israel. And when Solomon built his temple, Hiram of Tyre was a good friend of his, and they cut the timbers and so forth that were used in the construction of the first temple. You know, you heard cedars of Lebanon. They're going back to the Sidonians and the Tyrians to get materials just like they did when they built the first temple. Seven again. So they gave money to the masons and the carpenters and food, drink, and oil to the Sidonians and the Tyrians to bring cedar trees from Lebanon to the sea, to Joppa, according to the grant that they had from Cyrus, king of Persia. Because remember, Cyrus is the king over this entire region. His empire extends from India clear down to northern Egypt. So when he says, give them whatever help they need, they have a draw on the local governments for materials. Verse 8. Now in the second year after their coming to the house of God in Jerusalem, in the second month, Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Zehorah, made a beginning together with the rest of their kinsmen, the priests and the Levites, and all who had come to Jerusalem from the captivity. They appointed the Levites from 20 years old and upward to supervise the work of the house of the Lord. And Yeshua and his sons and his brothers, and Kadmiel and his sons, the sons of Judah, together supervised, and so forth. Um, again, I'm not going to read that. I'm going to skip down now to chapter 4. Don't get me wrong, Ezra itself is worth a study, but that's not our study tonight. I'm dipping in and out of Ezra to get the history. So chapter 4. Now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the returned exiles were building a temple to the Lord, the God of Israel, they approached Zerubbabel and the heads of the father's houses and said to them, Let us build with you, for we worship your God as you do. And we have been sacrificing to him ever since the days of Esharshaddon, the king of Assyria, who brought us here. And that was what I was talking. The Assyrian Empire moved non-Hebrews in there, and they became the Samaritans. So these are their descendants. And when they moved into the land, what they did is they said, all right, this is our new home. What do the local gods want? 
How do you deal with the local gods? And you'll remember, by the way, when Moses was talking to the people of Israel before they went into the land, one of the things that he explicitly says is do not inquire how the locals worship their gods. Because the prevalent idea in that area is you've got territorial gods, so when you move into a new territory, you figure out what those gods want, you do that because otherwise you won't prosper. So, verse 3, But Zerubbabel, Yeshua, and the rest of the heads of fathers' houses in Israel said to them, You have nothing to do with us in building a house to our God, but we alone will build to the Lord, the God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. So then the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah and made them afraid to build and bribed counselors against them to frustrate their purposes. All the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia, and in the reign of Hasuerus, in the beginning of his reign, they wrote an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. So the first thing they're doing is they're harassing them to keep them from building, then they are doing a deep state move where they are getting political influence. Now, Cyrus is dead at this point. So we've moved on to the next king. The next king doesn't know anything about this. So they send a letter to him saying, To Artaxerxes, the king, your servants, the men of the province beyond the river, send greeting." And now be it known to the king that the Jews who came up from you to us have gone to Jerusalem. They are rebuilding that rebellious and wicked city. They are finishing the walls and repairing the foundations. Now be it known to the king that if this city is rebuilt and the walls finished, they will not pay tribute, custom, or toll, and the royal revenues will be impaired. In other words, you won't get any taxes anymore. Now because we eat the salt of the palace, and it is not fitting for us to witness the king's dishonor. Therefore, we send and inform the king, in order that search may be made in the books of the records of your fathers, you will find in the book of the records and learn that the city is a rebellious city, hurtful to kings and provinces, and that sedition was stirred up in it from of old. That is why this city was laid waste. We make known to the king that if this city is rebuilt and its walls finished, you will have no possession in the province beyond the river. So he says, go back to Nebuchadnezzar's record. You'll find out why he destroyed the place. The people are no different than they were before. And if you put them back, you're going to get the same result. That sequence of events is what has caused them to stop building. Now, Go over to Haggai. Now, Haggai is obviously a Hebrew, and what he is prophesying about is the situation that we have just laid out. The exiles, some of them, returned. They started to build the temple. They got resistance from the locals. They got bureaucratic pushback and so forth, and Artaxerxes told them to stop. So the combination of all that has caused them to quit building the temple, and now they have turned to making themselves comfortable instead of working on what God told them to do. That's the situation into which Haggai is writing. So now, 
In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet, to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And the one who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. So he says, you guys aren't prospering. And the reason you're not prospering is because you're not doing what I told you to do. So verse 7, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why? Declares the Lord of God, because of my house that lies in ruins. While each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. What you have there is a chiasm, by the way. The big deal in the middle is you aren't doing what I told you to do. So verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent them. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. On the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. Now notice we have changed kings. That's important. The king who told them to stop is not Darius, who is the king now. So Haggai, in his prophecy, is dating his prophecy and everything from Darius, because Darius, being another guy, is not bound, quote, unquote, by the decision of the previous king. So if God were to have told them to start building while the previous king is still alive, then God would have to do something like toast him in his court to get it to work, because the king would have to back out his decree. Not that God couldn't do that, but apparently that wasn't part of the plan. So the one that turned them loose to go home is Cyrus the Great. And then you have Cambyses and Bardiah, and then Darius I, who is the one we're talking about. And so we're in the second year of his reign. The comment was, as Tom was reading Haggai, he was struck by the fact that they finally listened to a prophet whereas before they don't. And I will suggest that the difference is 
in this case, they have not fallen into depravity and wickedness. They have simply sort of stalled, and they need to be goosed to get moving and get them going again. Whereas with other prophets, the reason that the prophet has been sent is that the nation has fallen into wickedness and depravity, and they aren't going to listen because they aren't going to listen. All right, so they're going to start rebuilding. Let's go back now to Ezra. We were in chapter 4, and at the end of chapter 4, basically the, the king said, cease work, don't do any more. This is Ezra chapter 5. Now the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Edo, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of God of Israel who was over them. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtah, and Jeshua, the son of Jehozadak, rose and began to rebuild the house of God that is in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. So what we're talking about here as they're starting to rebuild in Ezra chapter 5 is what's going on in Haggai chapter 1. So now we get another snake in the woodshed. So verse 3. At the same time, Teteni, the governor of the province beyond the river, and Shethar, Boznai, and their associates came to them and spoke to them thus, Who gave you a decree to build this house and to finish its structure? So this is, your restaurant has been closed and we are the health inspector. Who gave you permission to open? These are bureaucrats. And so what they're doing is the last decree we had from a king was knock it off. You guys are not knocking it off. You have resumed building. Under what authority are you doing that? In other words, who gave you permission to open? Verse 4. They also asked them thus. What are the names of the men who are building this building? Your papers, please. I want the names of everybody that's involved, and we're going to go to the magistrate with the names of everybody involved. This is a bureaucratic exercise. So what are the names of the men who are building this building? But the eye of their God was on the elders of the Jews, and they did not stop them until the report should reach Darius, and then an answer be returned by letter concerning it. So what they've said is we are appealing to the king. Because remember, we have a change of kings. So verse 6, this is a copy of the letter that Teteni, the governor of the province beyond the river, and Shither, Bozani, and his associates, the governors who were in the province beyond the river, sent to Darius the king. They sent him a report in which was written as follows. To Darius the king, all peace, be it known to the king that we went to the province of Judah, to the house of the great God. It is being built with huge stones and timbers is laid in the walls. This work goes on diligently and prospers in their hands. Then we asked these elders and spoke to them thus, who gave you a decree to build this house and to finish this structure? We also asked them their names for the information that we might write down the names of their leaders. And this is the reply to us. We are the servants of the God of heaven and earth. We are rebuilding the house that was built many years ago, which a great king of Israel built and finished. But because our fathers had angered the God of heaven, he gave them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of the Babylonians and Chaldeans, who destroyed this house and carried away the people of Babylonia. 
However, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Babylon, Cyrus the king made a decree that this house of God should be rebuilt. And the gold and silver vessels of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple that was in Jerusalem and brought into the temple of Babylon, these Cyrus the king took out of the temple of Babylon, and they were delivered to one whose name is Shishbazar, whom they made governor. And he said to him, Take these vessels, go and put them in the temple that is in Jerusalem, and let the house of God be rebuilt on its site. Then this Shibashar came and laid the foundations of the house of God that is in Jerusalem. And from that time until now, it has been in building, and it is not yet finished. Notice they don't mention the fact that the previous king told him to stop. It says, we got authority from Cyrus, and it's taken us a long time to finish. Verse 17. Therefore, if it seems good to the king, let a search be made in the royal archives there in Babylon and see whether a decree was issued by Cyrus, the king for the rebuilding of this house of God in Jerusalem, and let the king send us his pleasure in this matter. Notice that they are going back to the original decree. In other words, send your librarian and look for the original decree. They don't mention that there was an intervening decree to stop. Good bureaucratic maneuvering we got going on here. Verse 6, Then Darius the king made a decree, and a search was made in Babylonia, the house of the archives, where the documents are stored. And in Ecbatana, the capital is in the province of Medea, a scroll was found in which this was written, a record of the first year of Cyrus the king, and so forth. So Darius then say, oh, okay, fine, this was authorized, and tells them to resume. That now takes us back to Haggai. Chapter 2. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? In other words, you all remember Solomon's temple because you've got people who are still alive who had seen Solomon's temple before Nebuchadnezzar destroyed it. Verse 4, Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, the high priest, be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. For thus said the Lord of hosts, Yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter-day glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Now, I will suggest to you that that is probably third temple talk. So, verse 10. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. Thus says the Lord of hosts, ask the priest about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold, bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? The priest answered and said, no. 
And Haggai said, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? The priest answered and said, it does become unclean. Verse 14, then Haggai answered and said, so it is with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord, and so with every work of their hands that they offer before me is unclean. In other words, the reason that they got sent into exile is they had blood on their hands. They are not yet cleansed. And so everything they touch is unclean, just as if someone who had been defiled by a corpse takes up something that is holy and becomes defiled. 15. Now then, consider from this day onward, before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When one came to a heap of 20 measures, there were but 10. When one came to the vine, wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were but 20. I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail. Yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. Consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundations of the Lord's temple was laid, consider, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. But from this day on, I will bless you. What is the ninth month, by the way? So what we're talking about is the time that is going to become Hanukkah. The year starts in Passover. That's the first month. You go around nine months, you get to Kislev. 25th of Kislev is Hanukkah. And what he's saying is, you guys are unclean. You have been unclean. You got sent into exile because you were soaked in violence and murder. But from now forward, I am going to make you clean and I am going to bless you. And what I'm suggesting to you is this is what Hanukkah is going to be. The rededication of the temple. Verse 20. The word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel governor of Judah, saying, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I am about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and to overthrow the chariots and their riders, and the horses and their riders shall go down, every one by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring. For I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. That seems to me like end time stuff. And I don't know what Zerubbabel being made a signet ring means. I, I just don't know the answer to that. But it's clearly yet future. And the idea is that you've got stuff that starts from where they are right then and goes all the way out to the end, which is typical prophet stuff. Mm-hmm. 